The Ask Theory podcast shines the spotlight on Pinoy scientists from various scientific disciplines. Listen to some of the country's best scientific minds as they explain what they do in simple terms and share fascinating stories of how they got into science, the incredible things they've learned about the world around us, and so much more. Hi, Doc Renzo. Welcome to the Ask Theory Podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being here. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. So let's get to it. I'd like our listeners to know a little more about you. So please tell us a little bit about yourself, about the work that you do, and most importantly, how you fell in love with science. Wow. Thanks for that first question. No? Where do I begin? So I wear basically many hats, but let me emphasize two of them. So one, I am the chief planetary health scientist of an, of the new Sunway Center for Planetary Health based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. So it's actually based in Sunway University, which is one of the fastest rising and innovative young universities, not just only in Malaysia, but also in, in Southeast Asia. The second hat that I wear is I also am the inaugural director of the Planetary and Global Health Program of the St. Luke's Medical Center College of Medicine in Quezon City, Philippines. And so it's in a medical school. We're also developing a, a portfolio there on planetary health education, research, and, and advocacy. So those are the, my ma- two main hats. But, you know, I guess fundamentally, I am a physician by training, but I also pursued an advanced doctoral degree in public health, But for my doctoral dissertation, I focus on the nexus of climate change and health. And that's somehow how I was brought into, you know, planetary health, which I already mentioned a while ago. We can talk more about it in a while. But also, you know, I've I've been very deeply involved in many different initiatives in the space of, you know, public health about improving the health of of populations on, on a grand scale, you know. Clinical medicine, which was my earlier training, focuses on the care of individual patients, while public health takes care of entire cities, populations, communities, societies, nations. And then, of course, you've heard already about planetary health. Now, it's not just about people, but also about the planet. How did I fall in love with science? I guess it started when when I was you know, young, you know, when, when I was in grade school or even preschool, I guess it's really this sense of curiosity about many different things. But during that time, little did I know that I would become, one, a physician someday, but two, I'll be addressing head on some of the existential threats that are facing humanity today, climate change and other planetary crises. So, so yeah, I guess that's where we can start. All right. What is your mission statement as a scientist, if you have one? Wow, that's a great question. And, you know, in terms of my mission statement, you know, now you're making me try to recall how I've articulated the kind of work that, you know, I've been doing. The sentence has has evolved over time. But right now, you know, I always say that I'm here to advance the health of both people and the planet. You know, every time I give a presentation about climate change and health or planetary health or COVID-19, the pandemic, that is always my last line. And and I guess, you know, in a way, that's my mission statement to advance the health, not just of people, but also of the planet. You know, you can't be taking care of one and ignore, 
you know, the other, the two are inextricably intertwined, if not inseparable. So, so yeah, I guess that's, you know, what animates my work right now. And maybe it will evolve in the future, but I hope it will also be, you know, consistent from now until the end of my career perhaps arrives. Uh-huh. Now, you'll have to forgive me, but when I hear the words planetary health, and you've mentioned that quite a few times while you were talking a while ago, like it's an unfamiliar term, but it's also interesting to me because it makes me think of outer space or geology. But, <laughs> but you know, it's not really specifically about those things. So, and I'm sure our, our audience, our listeners probably are not that familiar with the term too. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what it means and why it's significant. Great. And, you know, someone told me, what's next? Intergalactic health, right? Or, (laughs) you know, well, universal health has a different meaning. But, you know, planetary health, as I've mentioned, it's about this integrated, you know, view and approach that brings together the health of both people and the health of the planet. Because I guess for the past century, we've always either focused on one and neglected the other. We've improved the health of human populations while neglecting the health of the planet, which also sustains our health and well-being. We've been putting food on the table to improve global nutrition, but we've come up with food systems that are highly defective because they don't just make us either obese or undernourished, but also they're emitting a lot of carbon to the atmosphere and destroying natural ecosystems. We've created cities that enhance or expanded opportunities for many people, but also cities that have contaminated, polluted the air, water, and land. And so, you know, because we've always approach things through a siloed approach or a siloed lens, we've failed to really look at things in a more interconnected way. And so I think planetary health as a new concept, as a new paradigm, is what really brings all of these together, in a way encouraging us to adopt a more holistic and integrated lens. Also, because the th- many things in life on Earth are deeply interconnected, we need a transdisciplinary and a cross-sectoral approach. Systems thinking, you know, we can't just be focusing on one part of the system and ignore the unintended consequences, for example, for another part of the system. And I guess also planetary health reminds us that, you know, we need to make sure that we have a livable planet to leave behind future generations. So this intergenerational equity and responsibility dimension is is quite central you know to planetary health you know in public health which is a much earlier field that and it's still a field that you know is is uh, operating until today it tends to focus on the health of people living today right it's not very much concerned about the health of children who will be living 100 years from now but planetary health expands you know our our vision for health expanding it to other species, <laughs> creatures great and small, and expanding it to the planet, but also expanding it in in temporal terms, because we're not just concerned about now, we're concerned about a century from now. That's planetary health to me. All right. Now, when you defined planetary health, I immediately thought of the climate crisis, because I think that's perhaps the biggest problem that we're facing on the planet today. And if you look at how climate change, the climate crisis is being discussed in media, it tends to focus on how man-made activities, anthropogenic activities, sort of do terrible things to the planet. But we don't really talk about how these terrible things affect human health. So what are your thoughts on that? 
You know, great question. And unfortunately, it's only recently that when the global community has really paid attention to the health impacts, you know, of, of climate change. The health sector is, you know, a recent, I guess, player or actor in the climate debate. You know, when I was in med school more than a decade ago, uh, that's only when we started having doctors speaking about climate change as, as a health issue. And so, you know, this is very important. Climate change is going to affect health in many different ways, no doubt about that, whether it's through extreme events like typhoons or flooding or, you know, exposure to extreme heat and droughts, you know, impacting food security. In terms of climate change, there's no single disease group that is immune to it, you know, whether it's infectious diseases. Think of malaria, dengue, or even COVID, right? Or more pandemics in the future. They're all going to be influenced by the changing climate, by the changing environment. Nutritional gains will be reversed if climate change will continue to worsen. Non-communicable diseases, diseases that, well, you know, not spread through pathogens through microbes, heart disease, lung disease, cancers, and diabetes, all of these are also connected to climate change and air pollution. And also there's a growing recognition and also growing evidence on the impacts of climate change on mental health, because the climate is also going to affect and is already affecting our brains and hearts as well. So, you know, there's a grow, there's this co new concept called climate anxiety, that many young people now are beginning to experience and manifest. There's actually one, you know, study published recently that among the young people of the 10 countries that were surveyed, the Filipino young people are the most climate anxious in the world. And perhaps because we're, we are the people that are confronting climate change already on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, these are just some of the ways by which Climate change impacts human health, and I'm sure that there are a lot more. And I hope that we will be paying more attention to the health dimensions of climate change. The health sector must step up and speak more about climate change and why we need to stop it in order to protect human health in the Philippines and in many different countries in, in the entire world, right? But also other sectors will need to really understand that climate change is going to affect the health of their children and their children's children. So they have to decarbonize, reduce their emissions, and leave behind a livable planet to future children. I found it interesting that you mentioned COVID-19 because just to share, this podcast started in the middle of the pandemic. Now, I think, you know, unless our listeners out there have been living on a different planet, they're aware that for the past two years up to now, our idea of reality has been drastically changed by pandemic. It took most of the world by surprise. I say most of the world because if you look at literature, if you look at scientific literature, a lot of smart people who have been studying these trends for a very long time sort of have already said that at some point in the future, a pandemic may or is likely to happen again because of so many things. But is planetary health one of those things? What is the link between the pandemic and planetary health? Correct. You cited that very recent study published by colleagues from the U.S. Basically, they did machine learning. And uh, what they found out was if climate change will not be stopped, if the Paris Agreement 
goals will not be achieved by 2030, there's a very high chance that there will be more what we call zoonotic spillover events. So zoonosis, you know, they're coming from animals, these pathogens, viruses jumping from animals to human beings or jumping from one animal to another animal. And, you know, Based on that study, there's a very high chance that these events will occur more and more in an era of a warming planet. And so that's the connection between the ongoing pandemic and climate change and planetary health. You know, if we're not going to address the environmental drivers of emerging infectious disease, then COVID-19, unfortunately, will not be the last of its kind, probably not even within our lifetime. We might be able to see more in the years and decades to come. Unfortunately, Southeast Asia, where the Philippines is based, is located, is a hotspot for infectious disease emergence, for you know a hotspot that has huge pandemic potential. And so we really need to, of course, you know, right now we're still in the middle of the pandemic. We have to speak up against the vaccine inequalities that we see around the world, countries hoarding vaccines while the rest do not even have access for their populations. But also we need to start talking about how can we make sure this is the last. And that means addressing climate change, addressing the environmental upstream drivers like rapid urbanization or large-scale farming of, of meat and, and animals, domesticated animals, biodiversity loss, the impingement of urban systems into natural ecosystems, rainforests, for instance, and also wildlife trade and consumption. All of these tighten what we call the human-animal interface. And when that is so tight and so close, the likelihood of another pathogen jumping from an animal to a human being just increases, if not exponentially. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And on that note, I just want to bring up how I thought it was unfair that when news of COVID-19 first hit and people started finding out about it, like people started to have... It's just weird, but people started to have like discriminatory thoughts against bats <laughs> like correct people were were blaming these animals for for getting us sick but not really thinking about you know why this is happening you know you know that's a very good point uh and uh, you know i was just talking to a colleague who's an anthropologist and you know in philippine anthropology we have this concept of kapwa right mm. where you know we you know we treat someone else as, you know, kind of special and a part of our being, but we've never really seen our fellow members of the animal kingdom, kingdom. <laughs> as part of Kapwa, right? And and yeah. because of this pandemic, there's a lot of even demonization of bats and pangolins True. and other animals when in fact, you know, the virus will would have not jumped from any of these creatures if we just respected their habitats, if we did not disturb them through our human activities interrupted into their, you know, natural state of affairs. And so, you know, I guess we need to reframe <laughs> this, I guess, colonial mindset, you know, we're looking at these animals as our own property when in fact, you know, we're just all part of this you know, amazing fabric of nature. And I think that's what planetary health as a concept, as a powerful concept is trying to convey. We're not at the top of the pyramid of nature, but we are just a part of it, you know, and, and we need to live in greater inter interdependence and solidarity with all the uh, components of this planet Earth, our only home. I agree 100%. And when you actually said the words colonial mindset, while I was listening to your answers a while ago, I noticed that there's a 
I mean, we know that there's inequality in the world. We know this. In many areas of the world, there's inequality. Most of the time, when we think about countries, for example, there's the first world and we, we tend to think of the Philippines as third world and stuff like that. And this this inequality, this this imbalance of perception sort of extends to all areas of life. And I think that includes science and research. So what are your thoughts on that? Very good question. And, you know, you just mentioned hesitatingly, perhaps, you know, the first world, the second world. Yes. And, you could, and these are you like... You sense the hesitation. Yeah. And, and these are like colonial legacies, you know, the fact that we're describing the worlds <laughs> or the world <laughs> exactly. into these categories, right? There's something problematic and if not colonial there, you know, I always yes. say, you know what, we should probably be classifying countries in terms of high consuming, low consuming, high carbon emitting and low carbon emitting. I think Agreed. that's much more useful than this first world, first second world. world. I yeah. don't know these worlds, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, who, who, who crafted them. But going back to your question about science and how, you know, th- there are inequalities in the production of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. We still live in a system that privileges, you know, Western epistemology, ways of thinking, right? And I think that planetary health is actually an opportunity and an invitation to, you know, listen to different perspectives that have been put on the margins for many years, if not centuries. For example, indigenous knowledge systems, you know, in planetary health, you know, even the idea of planetary health, that, that the health of people and the health of the planet are inextricably intertwined, that's not an original in invention of our generation. You know, you go back to indigenous communities, you listen to ancient wisdom, and for centuries, if not millennia, they've already recognized that the two are inseparable, you know, that that even the planet's health is an extension of their personal health. And so, it, you know, if you want to decolonize science, we need to start listening to these marginalized voices and largely neglected knowledge systems You know, we need to embrace different ways of thinking. And that's why I guess, you know, after pursuing my graduate studies in the United States, I decided right away, you know, I have to come back to the Philippines, to Southeast Asia. You know, I did not do a postdoc in the United States or in Europe, because I think if we really want to decolonize science, we need to return home. We need to build the infrastructure so that we can contribute to global science. We need to mentor the next generation of scientists who are homegrown, who are tackling local as well as global problems, who also use their unique lens informed by their lived experiences. So, you know, just recently I was speaking in a panel on the future of planetary health education, and I was saying, you know what? We need an Asian planetary health framework, you know, informed by, you know, let's say Islamic and Buddhist and Hindu and Confucian ideas, you know, not just Western and not just Judeo-Christian ideas. And that will be our, our gift to the world, you know, and, and that is our unique contribution to the advancement of planetary health sciences. So, so yeah, I mean, there's so much that we can do, but I think... To decolonize science, we need to decolonize first our brains, our minds, ourselves. 
we need to decolonize the way we do science. The, you know, we need to walk the talk, basically, right? And that's a daily challenge, you know? You know, how to be consistent with what I'm saying regarding planetary health and amplifying Asian voices and the voices of the marginalized and indigenous communities. We need to decolonize the systems that, you know, shape scientific knowledge production, our research culture, our academia, our universities, our research funders, everybody, our journals, everybody has to decolonize and really walk the talk. It's not an easy thing. You know, some people might think, oh, you're being a revolutionary. But I think that's the revolution that we need if we want to veer away from this colonial relationship with others and also our colonial relationship with Mother Earth. Yeah, I love it. You put it so beautifully. And While I was listening to you, I remembered that a couple of days ago, I had a conversation with a local marine scientist who works in in the conservation of marine resources here in the Philippines. And one of the things that that person told me that really stuck with me was that there's no one in a better position to study and save the local environment than the people who are living here, who know the environment here, who have lived and experienced the things that are happening here. So... Maybe it's time for us to stop looking towards, you know, saviors, scientist saviors from other countries and just empower or at least do a little more towards empowering the people who are right here, who can do this research, who can advance science in the Philippines. Because I I definitely agree with that sentiment. I think we just need to support the scientists who are here and at the same time, like you said, change the way we think. Not just regard Western science or science from other countries as superior, but also look at what we can do as scientists ourselves here in the Philippines. Indeed. And and that's why, so for example, let me just share some of our initiatives in St. Luke's. You know, we just launched what we call the Next Generation One Health Fellowship, a Philippines fellowship, because we want to train the next generation of One Health leaders, scholars, practitioners, who are who have a global mindset but with also local you know impact who understands the local context and situation that works closely with communities and policymakers you know we're training them in one health science but we're also training them on how to speak to the media or in a podcast like this or you know how to influence policymakers so so that's just one we have another project we're working with local health systems on how to make them more climate resilient you know in terms of addressing the dengue and mental health impacts of climate change and we're working closely with local government. So we're not working in the ivory tower of science and we're not reproducing the colonial approach that, you know, unfortunately, you know, I guess Western research institutes have propagated, you know, with their parachute or safari research. (laughs) Yeah. In that, that they've been doing, you know, for example, in Africa, but instead we're really showing how you know, 21st century science that is closer to the people and also uniquely, you know, I guess, Asian and local and, but also universal because we're dealing with global problems. I I think this is really the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I just want to make it clear to our listeners that Dr. Renzo and I are not antagonizing scientists from other countries. We're not saying that, (laughs) we're not saying that we're going to barricade the Philippines and stop them from, we're just saying that you know, before, maybe we should stop looking towards them too much to do the research for us. That's but, it. But, 
Yeah, but also I think the other way of, you know, perhaps carefully phrasing it is <laughs> we will benefit a lot if we are not just purely relying on, yes. you know, Western research methods, ways of thinking, but also being open to other ways of thinking. Well. You know, I'm, I'm not totally throwing out of the window what I learned from the United States, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and even if you, even our education in the Philippines is still very much patterned after, you know, Western education and knowledge systems. But I think we have a responsibility, especially if we do recognize the problem, to really complement that with, you know, our local understanding of our reality, right? And, and also, mm-hmm you know, embed, introduce, you know, our, again, our local culture, our traditions, our philosophies, our ways of thinking. I think we can enjoy the best of both worlds. We don't necessarily need to choose one over the other. Agreed. I think I know what your answer will be to this next question, but I have to ask it anyway. Uh, at, and at the <laughs> risk of sounding a bit melodramatic, because if you look at the news and hear about these exact topics that we're talking about right here on this episode, it's kind of bleak, like gloom and doom. So I have to ask, do, do you feel that there's hope for humanity? Wow. And well, you know, of course, I will not be kind of utopian or, <laughs> you know, in, in, in my, my answer. I'll be straightforward, right? That, that we have deadlines that we need to meet. And yes. we need to have to embrace this sense of urgency, you know, the Paris Agreement already articulated that we only have until 2030 to stabilize the global climate. We go beyond that, then there will be catastrophic consequences that we will need to be adapting to and that we will need to bear. So that's the reality. We, we don't need to sugarcoat or make it, again, as you've said, you know, sounding melodramatic or, or romanticized, you know, yes. planetary health is going to solve the world's problems. Well, it will solve the world's problems if everybody thinks in a planetary health way, right? Unfortunately, yeah. it's not yet. And I hope that these kinds of platforms like a podcast will really, in a way, spread a virus, not of COVID, but of planetary health, <laughs> you know, to young people. Also, you know, what are my visions for the future for the Philippines? You know, I always say if California has Silicon Valley, which is the global epicenter of technological innovation, I would love our country to become the Silicon Islands of planetary health innovation. And, you know, we need to mentor and prepare the next generation of planetary health leaders, citizens, towards scholars, practitioners. We also need to harvest the wealth of knowledge that exists in our communities, indigenous communities, local communities, etc., across the many islands of the country, and really, you know, contribute to the solutions to global problems. That's my my hope and, and my aspiration. And that's why, you know, I hope that more young people, more young Filipinos will embrace planetary health and, you know, using their own talents and skills, you know, to contribute to its advancement. You know, the, the beauty of planetary health is it's a transdisciplinary space. Everybody can be involved. You're a doctor, you're a business person, you're a philosopher, you're a social scientist, you're an entomologist, all of us can play an important role in advancing the health of both people and the planet. All right. I learned a lot from talking to you, and I'm sure that our listeners did as well. But I'm equally sure that some of them might have questions or might even want to reach out to you for to, to, to hear about your experiences. So what are the best ways to contact you? 
Great. Well, you know, add me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter. Those are the best ways to reach out to me. And, you know, if you have a question, you're asking for some guidance, you know, feel free to ask and I'll try my best to to answer you. But also join us in planetaryhealth.philippines, Planetary Health Philippines. So you can Google planetaryhealth.ph. We're a growing community of planetary health advocates, scholars, practitioners from the Philippines. I always say we're intersectoral, we're interdisciplinary, we're international because you might, you can be a Filipino living overseas. You can still join us. And we're also intergenerational. We have members who are, you know, both young and young at heart. Again, because, you know, planetary health requires the collaboration of everybody. So you know, visit our website and, and join our growing community. All right. I'll do that. I'll do that right after this interview. Do, do you have any advice for aspiring Filipino scientists out there, especially the young scientists who want to practice their craft here in the Philippines? So, well, we live in the planetary health era and, and planetary health, yes, it presents us and reminds us of all the if not existential challenges, you know, that we are facing, that our generation is and will continue to face in the years and decades to come. And so I invite all of you to be, again, part of the planetary health community, the planetary health journey of our country. There's a place for everybody because, because it's something new. It's actually a, a right place for creativity and innovation. I did not pursue a PhD in planetary health because that doesn't exist, right? Even until now. And so I have to carve out for myself, you know, my my own journey. And I guess part of it is being creative and entrepreneurial and innovative, connecting to people, especially people who are not from your own discipline. You know, I love collaborating with people who are not fellow physicians like myself. And that really expands your your horizons, right? And also presents boundless opportunities for, again, collaboration and making change. So I guess those are just some of my advice. I'm sure there are more. All right. So thank you very much for being so generous with your time and for telling us these fantastic stories and, you know, about your experiences working in the field. I'm sure you've inspired a lot of young listeners out there to follow in your footsteps or pursue planetary health study. And... And I look forward to getting to the chance to talk to you again. I hope you'll be willing to be on the podcast at some point in the future, maybe to talk about new discoveries, new research, or just to touch upon some of the topics that we weren't able to talk about today. Thank you very much. And I laud your initiative and I hope more young aspiring scientists will follow suit. Stay safe, everybody. Likewise, stay safe, keep in touch, and take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ask Theory. Follow Flip Science on Facebook, at FlipSciencePH on Twitter, and at FlipFacts on Instagram. And check out our official Shopee store if you want to get copies of our books, Historiang Scientifico and Science Scramble. Stay curious!